Ah, welcome, weary travelers, to the great big universe of XS. Due to stop and go conditions, please remember to maintain your distance from the car ahead. All right, you junior space rangers, listen up. Green Squadron will retrieve the power cells, while the rest of you concentrate on those robots. And welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 389 for the week of December 28th, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, books, audio tours, and more. So whether it's your first time visiting Walt Disney World or you've been to the parks hundreds of times, if you're planning a vacation or just love the history, details, secrets, and stories, there's something here for you. And if you're a new listener, please go back, check out some or all of the past episodes for interviews, top tens, reviews, and more. You can subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and also visit www.radio.com. I'd like to invite you to travel back in time with me this week as we climb aboard my Wayback Machine and visit Walt Disney World in 1986. We'll virtually explore the parks and resorts, see what's new and what was closing for good, as well as Walt Disney World's 15th anniversary celebration and much more. I'll then ask you to call in and share what you would do at Disney if you could travel back to 1986. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package Then stay tuned to find out how you can be part of our WDW Radio 8th anniversary event in February and our surprise guest for the cruise to Alaska in June. I'll also give you a hint about what I've been working on and will launch for you in just a few weeks. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. we've all played the game before, or maybe it's just me, where we ask or have been asked about what superpower we wish we could possess. And for me, like, while I wish I could fly, I know that other people opt for invisibility, which makes me think that you've got something a little suspect going on, but I digress. And some other people wish for the ability to travel through time. And while I can't grant any of those powers this week, I can do my best to take you back in time a number of years to Walt Disney World at a different point in its history. So I want to invite you to join me aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine once again as we travel back in time to 1986. And joining us on our journey, and don't worry, he'll sit in the back seat, is Ryan Wilson of the Main Street Gazette, fellow geek, time traveler, Walt Disney World enthusiast, historian, writer, and all-around nice guy who also loves a good meal at the trails end as much as the next guy, Welcome back to the show, buddy. Jumbo. <laughs> That's right. You I keep forgetting your Ryan P. Wilson Matua. That's right. I have to I have to hold up my persona <laughs> my persona somehow. 
So yeah, I, I, I'm. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a Wayback Machine, and sometimes I like not necessarily going to a specific attraction or park or land, but picking a year and sort of virtually touring the parks as it were and sort of getting a, a glimpse of what it was like for those of us that may remember or for those of us who hadn't been there. And I want to sort of put 1986 in context because it's a lot farther back than I thought it was. Like I was, you know, I'm like, we're around the same age. Like I was a child of the eighties. So 86 to me seems like it was a couple years ago. I don't want to do the math, but let's sort of just quickly put 1986 in perspective in the real world. And then, you know, the Disney world, right? So during that time, the average income per year was about $22,000 and the average price for a new car was about nine thousand. You could buy a Ford Mustang for seventy four hundred bucks and fill her up for eighty nine cents a gallon. Seven million Americans joined hands in Hands Across America. Mike Tyson became the youngest heavyweight champion in history. Unfortunately, it was the Space Shuttle Challenger uh, uh, tragedy. IBM unveiled the first laptop computer, the PC convertible. Chernobyl happened. Email was invented <laughs> in 1986. And if you were uh, a, a nerd like me, chances are you were going to the movies to see Crocodile Dundee, the Karate Kid, Star Trek IV, the voyage home, because only the even ones were good back then, um, <laughs> Aliens, Top Gun, The Color of Money, and possibly even Platoon or Ruthless People. But in the Disney world... Michael Eisner was CEO, Frank Wells was president, Roy Disney was still around, and Dick Nunes was the executive vice president of Walt Disney World and Disneyland, and we were about to get ready for a period of unmatched growth and expansion as we were getting ready for the Disney decade. Now, Ryan Wilson, I am afraid to ask you how old you were in 1986. Yeah, I'm not going to answer that question because <laughs> it makes me feel – I'm not sure if it makes me if right now if I feel – old or if I feel just sad that there are people who don't remember some of this stuff. Well, you, you, you were it born. It does put my life in perspective because I can, I can remember growing up in Central Florida and wa- and being outside and watching Challenger. So from um, your from your stroller like were you in your No, not from my no, not no, from my school. Yeah, from school. Like you know, we went outside and we watched it and uh, and it was like what's going on and then the teachers knew what was going on and like Oh, we don't really want to explain that yet. So yeah, for for a lot of us and and for people who are young, like that was one of our, if maybe our, our very first, I remember where I was when mm-hmm. moment because I think yeah. we all do. I think we all remember uh, the Challenger um, when that happened. I, I don't remember gallons of gas being eighty nine cents, but I do remember Mike Tyson like knocking people out in thirty five seconds. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, and I remember Top Gun. I remember going and seeing Top Gun and you know Talk to Me Goose and yeah, I, I remember and it's just. Yeah, putting putting that back at eighty six and then doing the math of how long ago that was does does make me feel sad. And you also remember people not asking you what's your email address because you didn't have one. You didn't have, you didn't have that. You did not have a mobile phone. You did not. <laughs> what's your beeper number? <laughs> yeah, it was the giant pager with the little like uh, calculator, you know, digital screen. That was fun, dude. I never had a pager. I'm just saying. I didn't. I listen. I grew up. I'm an Italian guy from Jersey, but I never had a pager, and I never had an IROC Z28. So let me just. (laughs) (sighs) All right, but let's get into, like I said, let's get into the the Disney World and turn the clock back to 1986, because again, 
you know, it was the Eisner-Wells era. We were about to get ready for this period of growth as they were starting to lay the groundwork for what was going to be the Disney decade. So let's sort of talk first maybe about some of the additions, some of the things that opened, maybe some changes that came to Walt Disney World in 1986. And I think the big one for me, uh, although I'm a geek and I want to go someplace first, I think really the big one was the grand opening of the Living Seas in January uh, when it was sponsored by United Technologies. And I know when we think Living Seas, we think Seabase Alpha. And hydrolators and all the, that goes along with it. And it rained and rained <laughs> and rained. Yeah, and, you know, that was when the Sea Cab ride was there. And, again, it was a great story to it. And, look, at the time, you know, until they built the Georgia Aquarium, I think in about 2005, that was the largest saltwater tank in the world, right? right. 5.6, 5.7 million gallons. Like you could literally fit Spaceship Earth inside the tank. I mean, it was a massive, massive pavilion. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It was incredible. And that was one of those, you know, we, we've talked about when we talked about the Living Seas, you, you walked in and it was a whole other world. You didn't have to leave there for, you know, it wasn't 10 minutes and you're out the door. It was two hours and you didn't want to leave. Yeah, and I, I remember a lot of that, and I think we've talked about um, the pavilion in the past, and this is one of the ones that I think you're right. Too many people, they ride the Nemo attraction, and then they run out the door to wherever the next Fast Pass Plus is. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking the time to go upstairs and look at the manatees and look at the aquarium and talk to the people, I remember being fascinated when the diver would come down through the tube. Like, that was just so cool to me because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a marine bi biologist just because I think I liked saying the word bathyscaphe. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. You had, a, you had the, the lockout chamber, and it was going constantly throughout the day. I know they still use it from time to time, but it was constantly a diver moving in and out of there. And you had the manatees, and you had the feedings that were going on. And there, there were so many hands-on exhibits, you know, with the gym suit where you were locking and unlocking different pieces of you know feeling the underwater pressure and what that would be like in that kind of a suit that you you had so many world you know it was an entire world to explore that very few people had had that opportunity prior to that and it very much was an exhibit focused area you know when you came off you were very much attracted especially because at the time it was you know for us it was very high tech tech and very interesting we as kids didn't realize that we were learning, which was the beauty of, of Epcot Center at mm -hmm. that time. Uh, and it was interactive. It was very much, you know, along the lines of other Epcot pavilions in, in that it was interesting and interactive. And we all kind of bought into the idea that the hydrolators really went down instead of only two inches. So instead of just shaking around and, and changing <laughs> the lights sources. Yeah. But that was the beauty, right? It was it was about yeah. story. It was about sort of immersing you in that experience. And just like with the 20,000 League subs, I'm like, OMG, like I'm going underwater into this sea base. I totally bought into it. So, And even with the pre-show film, when they're talking about Seabase Alpha right at the end, the, the whole map and showing you that, you know, the blueprint of the, the base and the tube coming down from the ocean. So you totally bought in. Right. OK, I'm in Florida. The ocean's <laughs> right there. Surely I'm actually diving beneath. And just as much as I bought into what the Living Seas was selling me, I totally bought that we, the children are the future, and Michael Jackson in the Magic Eye Theater was going to bring us there as the uh, incomparable Captain EO when that opened in September 12th. 
as the most expensive movie made to date at a million dollars a minute. That was 17 million bucks to create that. And uh, and thank you, George Lucas and Lucasfilm for the hundreds and hundreds of special effects they put into that relatively short film. Yeah, it, it, and that was kind of like the cusp of, you know, that that jumping off point for the Disney decade of, you know, we're going to go big and it's going to be spectacular. And, you, you, and I had nightmares, I think, into my, you know, 20s about Angelica Houston because <laughs> that was as creepy as the Supreme Leader was as creepy as they got back then. So I had nightmares about Angelica Houston and it had nothing to do with Captain EO. I just thought <laughs> that's a separate issue altogether. Um, but yeah, you're right because that really was their way of saying, hey, look, we are investing heavily into this park and into the future, so much so that we're going to put all this money in. We're going to get big, you know, and that's not something Disney did in the parks previously. They did not tie themselves to a celebrity, not just in Michael Jackson and Angelica Houston, but in George Lucas and Coppola. I mean, they really, this was a big deal when this opened and obviously sort of capitalizing on this sort of, you know, fury and fever of the the, the sci-fi generation, which I I think was carried over from nine years earlier when Star Star Wars landed. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you could see some of the elements in it that felt like that old, you know, real lived-in world that Star Wars had kind of created to to make you understand that sci-fi wasn't bright and shiny. It was someplace people lived. And Captain Neo becomes one of those, you know, really one of the first 4D films when they started using the, you know, the laser lights and the smoke and the in-theater effects that were just incredible that really brought you into the experience even more so than, you know, the visuals. Yeah, it was like IMAX for the Cavaricci generation. Like that's, <laughs> I'm not saying that I wore my Cavaricis to Walt Disney World. But no, of course not. No, that no. never happened. No, I I actually dated once. Um, so let's move over to a couple of the other openings uh, and changes throughout the parks. Uh, in the Magic Kingdom, the Country Bear Jamboree for the first time became the Country Bear Vacation Hoedown. Fan oh, I, or not I, fan? I, I, I was a fan, and I don't know why. I've gone back and listened to it now and gone, yeah, something about that still calls to me even though I know that it shouldn't. Because you it's know, one of those things, it's it's what you grew up with, right? Yes. So, you know, now is the time, now is the best time, is the anthem for Carousel of Progress for a lot of people because that's what they were used to, even though it may not be Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. Absolutely, yeah, because you, you get to feel like, no, that's the original song. No, it's not. Like, if you want to leave it the original, let's talk that, but... Yeah, with the country bears, it was you know people that talked about they they had done that they did their Christmas hoedown and you know, people go no 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 I want the original show but for those of us who grew up with that as one of the traveling you know one of the shows you'd see during the year it actually bred some more life into the bears because it was like oh they don't have one show they have more shows that you can see so yeah and I'm I'm a nostalgic so I kind of dig the original most but. Yeah. <laughs> Not far down the road over in Fantasyland, and I'm just happy because I don't get to say this that often, Gurgies, Munchies, and Crunchies opened. Oh, Gurgies. <laughs> I'm not doing the voice this time. I'm not doing it. Thank you. The audience thanks you as well. Uh, over at Epcot, Skylidoscope over at the World Showcase Lagoon debuted as part of the 15th anniversary celebration, which we'll talk about. Laserphonic Fantasy was there, which was uh, the sort of precursor to Illuminations. So there was a lot of cool stuff in Epcot in terms of, you know, entertainment with Captain EO. You've got Skylidoscope. You've got a lot of stuff going on, not just around World Showcase, but in the actual and on the actual lagoon itself during the day and at night. I mean, entertainment at Epcot was sort of 
I don't want to say going in a new direction, but really sort of maybe reaching its peak in terms of what they were offering, not just in attractions, but in other entertainment as well. Definitely. And, and I think it started with, you know, the basis you had that for was with Communicore with the exhibits and the entertainment value that you pulled from there. And they did have these, you know, it wasn't just one nighttime spectacular. There were things going on throughout the day around Future World and World Showcase to really draw you out into these open areas to, to experience entertainment. And I can remember being in Communicore, watching the robotic, Expo Robotics arms and doing their spinning top bit and hearing the music from Skeletoscope and running outside and, and around by the Odyssey just to get a good view of it. Yeah. So uh, also, and you're going to love this because I know this is where you call home, over at Fort Wilderness, the Campfire Snack Bar is renamed and reopened as Crockett's Tavern. I have such fond memories of Crockett's Tavern. <laughs> From like two can, weeks ago. Not <laughs> Right, right. From, yeah, you know, just, just, just yesterday I had a um, – but no, I could – yeah, I could, when they added in all the little – Davy Crockett, you know, details, and it was on the menu of the story of Davy Crockett, and then you could see a model of the Gully Wumper, his, you know, old, you know, his rifle. He had the flag. It was, it was fantastic. And then you'd have at night the uh, cast member come in with a barstool and a guitar and sing the ballad of Davy Crockett and other, you know, folk songs just to, just to add to that element. And yeah, I could talk about that for hours. <laughs> and there was a lot going on outside the parks as well, right? So in addition to sort of small changes like that, there are other changes that are starting to set the tone for what is to come. So for example, uh, the golf resort, which had opened um, you know, very early on uh, after the park had opened, actually expanded to 150 new guest rooms and it changed its name to the Disney Inn. Now, if you're not familiar, the Disney Inn is now currently Shades of Green, but it originally opened as the golf resort in, I guess, like December, November, December of 1973. Mm-hmm. But part of the problem was the golf resort itself did not sort of scream Disney the same way the contemporary and the Polynesian and Fort Wilderness did. It didn't have that same st- story. It didn't have that same theming. People thought of it as purely a golf resort. So when they added the additional rooms, they put sort of a snow white themed mm-hmm. overlay on it right it felt very kind of you know oh how could we how can we make this look disney oh i know we'll just put some of this here and that <laughs> and surely no one's going to notice yeah you know when you they sort of like they changed the snack bar name to the diamond mine and they changed some of the coloring a little bit you know maybe they made the rooms a little bit brighter a little bit more airy um trying to sort of again make it appealing i think to families and kids as opposed to just the quote-unquote country club set, which is kind of what the goal was for that. They were trying to create a, a country club type resort. And I think we've talked about probably when we did our 1973 Wayback Machine <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago. But that sort of change, Ryan, was not the only one that was coming, right? Michael Graves starts to present to Disney his models for the dolphin and the swan. Again, the Disney decade is coming. Michael Eisner is all about expansion. And the company on, announces plans for the construction of Pleasure Island, which I have to start getting used to calling Disney Springs. But now they say they're starting to show we need to change our offerings to attract more families. We're going to build a couple of other hotels that are not necessarily under the Disney umbrella. And we also want to build a shopping 
retail, dining, entertainment district for guests as well. We really want to keep this as what it was, the vacation kingdom of the world. Definitely. It was how were they going to do, you know, what, what was going to keep people there? And there were already was shopping down at the marketplace, but people hadn't really, you know, it wasn't the place that everyone had to go. Um, we, we certainly had to be there. We had friends and families who, who we know had to be there, but it, it wasn't the be all end all for everyone. So they had to find a way to draw people in. So you had Pleasure Island coming to to really bring up that, that tension level there. You know, they were looking at New water parks with Typhoon Lagoon, new resorts coming in. What and it was all in an effort to yeah to exactly what you said, keep people there. So you weren't going someplace else for the rest of your week. You were spending your entire week vacation right there on Disney property. Right, and there. So they also they're groundbreaking for the Grand Floridian because again they want a high end luxury flagship type resort. And they're also building the Disney MGM Studios. They're building the third theme park. I don't necessarily think it in response to or in competition with anything else. I just think that was part of the plan to continue to grow. Now, granted, it was built and conceived of as sort of the half-day park, but it really was trying to little bring a little bit of the Disney brand of what was going on in West Coast over to East Coast and sort of make that a real working studio as well. Definitely, it was you know, and they and they knew Universal was coming to town, and they were you know they were like, well, wait, we're the name in entertainment that everyone should be looking at, and so they wanted to make sure that they were getting out there and showing what what all of their skills. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why you know I I, I admire Michael Eisner so much for what he and Frank Wells collectively did. I think sometimes people remember the bad stuff, or you remember the way it ends. You don't remember. All the growth, you know, I, I take people all the time when I walk by the boardwalk and I look at the hotels and I look at the boardwalk and I look and I point towards Hollywood Studios. I say, you need to thank Michael Eisner for this because he is really the one that made this sort of, you know, unprecedented expansion up until that point really happen. Definitely. I mean, up until, you know, and we're kind of sitting on the edge with this 1986 of you had two parks on a monorail loop. You had your resorts all on that monorail loop. You know, there, there was so much other land to use that they hadn't really explored yet that they finally said, you know what, we're going to make it what it, you know, we're going to dream big and we're going to put, make those dreams reality. Absolutely. So part of what was going on this year too, and it all sort of, you know, fit in perfectly in terms of timing was it actually was the 15th birthday slash anniversary of Walt Disney World. And it began on October 1st. It ran, you know, until like September of 1987 because nothing actually takes place for just, uh, you know, just about a year. But they really had at the time what many people build as like the world's largest ever press event. Like they brought in, you know, thousands. I've heard numbers of up to 10,000 media and guests coming down there high-end entertainment again it's 1986 like dolly parton the charlie daniels band the monkeys air supply ray charles betty white b arthur trust me they were big names charlton heston (laughs) i'm actually gonna say emmanuel lewis like chief justice warren Berger was there for this year-long celebration and the cool thing for guests was that they had a daily giveaway of a car they gave away a chevy s10 or a chevy cavalier Every single day, as well as you know, countless other prizes as well. 
yeah, I mean, I can remember going through the gates and they had the, the clock up there that you could you know, kind of see that the prizes were getting given away. And I have my Epcot Center pin, so you know, still stashed away. It, you know, it was it was a winner every fifteen seconds. I and they were you know whether it was a pin or you know a little pinnet or some you know some little token or like you said you know one of these Chevrolets that you know there were big things getting giving being given away and. It uh, big displays everywhere, and the cars were always on display, so you could see exactly what you could win for coming to the park that day. Yeah, it was a uh, you know it was a very cool time, and, and that sense of oh, am I going to be the one? You know, am I going to be the one that gets chosen? It was sort of that, and, and I loved the year of a million dreams. Although I never won anything, like it was often as one, I didn't even get a pin, like nothing, man. Um, I don't think I ever. I don't think I ever won anything either, actually. And I would, and I'd watch them walk around and be like, okay. And I'd, and I'd pull my wife and like, okay, just look really happy. They're looking for happy people. <laughs> it still never worked. No, it never worked. So yeah, there was a lot going on. There was a lot of entertainment. So maybe what I thought we would do, Ryan, is kind of take a, a virtual trip through the parks, like a, a virtual walk through the parks, and talk about some of the things that we remember being there or we miss not being there. And I think that the easiest way to do it is just start with taking a trip down Main Street, USA. So is there anything on Main Street that you remember, that you wish was there, that, that you know, when you think of that time uh, on Main Street, is there something that comes to mind instantly? Because for me, there's there's one place that my mind directly goes to. Yeah, I don't know that there's one place in particular. You know, to me, Main Street was always, you had all those little corners to, to see back then. Um so I don't know that there was one thing that that pulled me away immediately. See, I th- I remember the Penny Arcade. Like I was a nerd. Like I spent yeah. way too much time on arcade. Like the Penny Arcade and the mutoscopes and the telescopes and the things that you moved by hand. Like I felt like I was touching a piece of history. Like I was always a, a big yeah. video game junkie, and I was like, wow, like this was video games in like the eighteen eighties. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me it was I was I was always that tangible factor. And so for me, if it was anything, it was you know the House of Magic where I could see them do a magic trick and then I could get one to take home. And I you know it was it was that piece of I can create the magic myself. See, I was gonna say House of Magic, but I always get all sappy and weepy because I've told the story a million times. Mm-hmm. The House of Magic is where my dad would take me on the way out and always let me get something. And I still remember my it had this little like two inch long it was like a red it was shaped like a sarcophagus and it had this little like king tut guy in it and if you turn the magnet around it would levitate and i just thought it was the coolest <laughs> if i could find one of those on ebay or buried somewhere in a box my mother brought me a box from storage a couple of months ago and i dug through it like just praying that i would find that in there but it is that's you know it's funny with the personal memories we have of of places like that and things that we yeah we we see and uh, we remember. Um, what about you know, Adventureland? Really, other than the addition of um, the uh, uh, the magic carpets of Aladdin, hasn't really changed very much. You know, from from nineteen eighty six till now. No, it really had. I mean, it's it's still just as wild as it you know ever was, <laughs> and there've been a few additions, but it stayed fairly true to its to its nature. Yeah, same thing. Obviously, with. Um, uh, you know, Frontierland as well. Although when I think, you know, as, as I sort of might am going through mentally uh, it, through these places, it's not the attractions that I remember, but I remember some of the different shops. And I know we, we've talked about this in the past. You know, the shopping in Adventureland 
has changed with things like Colonel Haythe's Safari Club and the Oriental Imports. And I always remember, like in uh, Adventureland, Lafitte's portrait deck, where you can sort of get dressed up and sort of take a picture like right. a pirate. But Frontierland was one of those places. And I sort of lament the, the, the change now, because when you used to go into places like the Frontier Trading Post, there was the woodcarver and the woodcutter there. But you were able to get things that you would find as if you really were in the Old West. Like you could get, you know, uh, Native American headdresses mm -hmm. and moccasins and belt buckles and sheriff's badges. Like you could sort of deck yourself out as if you wanted to be like an old time cowboy. And, and I sort of miss that because right now it really more is of a pin trading station as opposed to be merchandise that would be sort of not authentic to the time, but authentic to the land. Right, yeah. You know, you have your candy station there. You have your you have your pins, and I can remember that is where I bought my first, you know, the coonskin cap. You know, because I had to be Davy Crockett, and I had to have that hat. And I remember buying that there, and I can remember, you know, watching. For me, it was, it was some of the food. You know, we've talked before about the mile long bar, and you know, seeing seeing the guys from the country beer jamboree talk to guests as they interact. You know, as they left and. Um, it's some of those little pieces that, that, yeah, that I think I'm drawn to now looking back. And I think about, you know, speaking of shopping and shops that I missed, not that in 1986 I was probably all that concerned ab about shopping, but I love going through places like Liberty Square because what is now the Liberty Square Christmas shop was originally three different shops at one point, and I think two of those were probably the, the most unique in any of the parks because you had uh, Mademoiselle Lafayette's Perfumery and the Old World Antique Shop. And I talk about these at length really on the, the audio tours, mm -hmm. but the Old World Antique Shop was a real antique shop. Like there was, you know, people that went out and sourced antiques. And I don't just mean like jewelry and clothing, but I mean like furniture and armoires and dining room table sets. Yeah. Like when you go to Ma Magic Kingdom, like what should I bring back from mom? Well, how about a chest of drawers? Can we just right. fit that in the overhead compartment? Can we can can you just ship that to my resort for me, please? Yeah. No? Oh. But it was always changing because my parents used yeah. to have an antique business. Like that's where I think I got my entrepreneurial spirit from was going around the country, like, you know, doing antique shows and, and having a little antique business and going to flea markets and things like that. So going in there, my parents were always fascinated because it was ever changing. The inventory was ever changing because they would sort of rotate it through. But right next door at the perfumery. Not that I was buying myself lots of parfumeries, but they would take six ingredients and from those ingredients could create hundreds of different combinations. But the cool thing was that you could create, you know, the Ryan P. Wilson right. number five. And next time you came back, if somebody wanted to get that for you, they could look in the book. You know, they would look up your name and recreate the formula to make your very special musk. Yes, and, and I and I and I know that's one of the, like a bottle from this place is like is like one of your oh, must have on, things. Man, I know. And I keep I do I keep a, I keep an eye out. I like I'm like I'm gonna find one for him one of these days, uh, and it's gonna be impossible for me to give up. Be like, look what I have. <laughs> right. You'll but, find it, but you're not gonna give it to me. Right? right. Be like, look what I have. Don't you? Isn't this what you've been looking for? But it was, and you had this silversmith there who you know they actually were you know working with the silver and creating these you know incredible candlesticks and, and works of art that, that you know 
and pieces that you would take home and use in your home. They weren't just trinkets to, you know, to put on a shelf or to to get lost in your luggage on the way home. It was something that was tangible that you could really use. Yeah, and and I loved the story, sort of the the Johnny Tremaine connection mm-hmm. and the Liberty Tree outside. And if you go into the Christmas shop now, if you and I we say this all the time, look up and look down. You can see the differences in the plank floorings and in the ceilings where the three different shops were and sort of get the sort of delineation of what they were. I know that Merlin's in the match in Fantasyland closed that year. And you remember, so right now it's the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, but remember when that used to be the King's Gallery? When it had all kinds of like swords and cuckoo yeah. clock and tapestries and and yeah, you felt like, like you could be the knight in, in shining armor, kind of in that room. I can remember going, "I want that sword." And my parents go, "Yeah, that's never gonna happen." Yeah, like mine too. Like who? Like why tease us kids with yeah. these giant swords that our parents are never gonna buy for us? Yeah, <laughs> somebody's parents, somebody bought there for them, and, and I guess so. And they and they and they they regretted <laughs> it when their when their child you know lost a finger, but. Yeah, try getting that on uh, on your carry-on luggage now. But, you know, in addition, and notice I haven't even mentioned food yet other than Gurgi's Munchies and Crunchies. I think the thing that I, I miss most of the time and I remember vividly was the entertainment. And I mean that not in terms of attractions, but in live entertainment. Now, obviously, the Dapper Dans are still there. The marching bands are still there. The, the flag retreat is still there. But I remember things like certainly my dad's favorite show was going to the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon and having to get right. your ticket on Main Street. But do you remember the steel drum band, the, the JP and the Silver mm-hmm. Stars, which is where you meet Captain Jack Sparrow now? Yeah, I actually have an I- album of that somewhere actually on my on iTunes now. But yeah, I can remember that. I can remember you know so many. There were so many little pieces of entertainment back then that you could that you could do whether it, it, no matter where you were. And it was just it brought a sense of life to the place. So do you remember the kids of the the kids of the kingdom? Um, they only performed like during the busy times, like summer and Easter and maybe Christmas, like on the castle forecourt. But right. they, you know they were there performing along with characters. There was all speaking of characters in Fantasyland. There was something called the Fantasy Follies, where like Mickey and I think Goofy, like they were performing, and they they had backup singers um, at the old Fantasy Fair stage, which. Used to well now I'm trying to think it was sort of where the old Ariel's Grotto's tent was, which is now mm-hmm. kind of where the entrance to, to New Fantasyland would yeah. I think, yeah be our guest kind of that that wall area kind of are yeah but like even Tomorrowland like over at the Tomorrowland Terrace mm-hmm. um, they had entertainment Main Street had like the Banjo Kings and the Pearly Bands and stuff like that I mean there was always a lot of stuff yeah. and I and I think of Disneyland now because I think Disneyland has a lot of that too. I think there's, I, I love the live entertainment at uh, at Disneyland. Yeah, and I think I think for me the thing I miss so much about that period is just the place felt so alive. There was so much locomotion going on, and you know by that I mean you had the submarines, you know the Nautiluses going around. You had the Skyway going on. You had you had the canoes and the keel boats on the rivers of America. There was life. You know, there were people moving constantly around, and, and it was just gave everything a sense of hustle and bustle and that it that it was a real lived-in world. And, you know, it's an interesting time, too, because in 1986, Epcot Center has now been opened for four years. And it's starting to, for some people, especially if you were kind of, you know, geeky and techy and you loved all the futuristic stuff, this was now all of a sudden becoming people's favorite park. I remember mm-hmm. having talking to my dad about this, and I'm like, 
I think I like Epcot better. He's like, what are you, insane boy? Like, come on, man. Magic Kingdom, if you had wings, which was going to close the next year anyway. But or, um, it was. It was starting to become because it was, again, being sort of a geeky kid, The not just the attractions and the feel and the sort of promise of tomorrow in the future, but all the interactive stuff. So remember, like, Spaceship Earth, I loved, but I loved the post-show. Like, I loved sort of that that earth station area where you can do all the different things and, and have and all the, the the different sort of interactive exhibits. Absolutely. And I think it was one of those things where, you know, we were getting to that age, you know, around now and with Epcot and uh, where, you know, the, the fairy tales and stuff were great. And that's, that's, you know, who we were as children, but this is our tomorrow and, you know, how bright does it look? And you had, you know, where was transportation going? Where were, you know, we, we were going to be living under the sea. We were going to be living in space. You know, oh yeah! Next thing you know, we'll be able to make video phone calls to each other. Come on, let's, let's yeah, not be I know. It's gonna be holograms <laughs> next. No, you know, on 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 CNN. No, come on now. Um, but it was it, that was that was our you know, our tomorrow, and I think you know we were all buying into it and going, yes, yes, it is, and you know we're going to be part of it, and and this is where I I get the foundation for that. And I know we've talked about this in the past, right? And we've loved, you know, Communicore East and West had sort of these ancillary exhibits that were that tied into the pavilion but i remember and and one of the things i regret not being able to do because at when i finally realized it was there it was only accessible to teachers but at one point they had something called the epcot outreach and it was sort of the i think it was on communicore west where you could go in and it was sort of like a bookstore but there was a research librarian there there was there was assistance there it was sort of like Google. There were people there to help you do research on anything related to Walt Disney World, Epcot. There were videos. There were film strips. There was software. There was like, a, and then obviously later on, it became more geared for teachers. Like they had lessons plan, lesson plans for yeah. teachers for elementary level all the way up to I think like high school levels. And by the time I realized it was there, and I think right now you can, if you go into the Art of Disney, it's in sort of the um, the. the I think wasn't wasn't it like in the staircase going upstairs mm-hmm. near there, and I never ever got to see it. Yeah, and you're right. It was a Communicore West, and I mean they actually had a teachers lounge there where you could sit and watch these videos and talk to somebody who was well versed in these curriculums. And I never got to see it. And it's one of those things where even though I know some of the information is dated, I would love to you know I'd love to get my hand, hands on a set of that of their library pieces and just really get a chance to delve into it and see how you know. As a, as a teacher and as an educator myself, to see what that you know really looked like back then, you know what what was the message we were we were giving to kids and how has it changed and and just to have that piece of history. Would you rather have all those research materials that were available during that time, or oh, no. in the alternative, would you rather have the audio animatronics of the Boogie Woogie Bakery Boy from the Kitchen Cabaret? <laughs> see now, if you had talked, if you had asked me about. <laughs> About the broccoli from from <laughs> Kitchen Cabaret, we may have had an argument there. Ham and eggs. If I give you ham and eggs, ham and eggs. or Miss Cheese, <laughs> or Miss Ice Cream, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I would love, yeah. So, can I have all of the above? No, no. Oh. Just so like you can't have that, nor can you have the, you know, the body piercing saber from the King's <laughs> Gallery <laughs> in uh, in Fantasyland either. Uh, Symbiosis was still there. More importantly, Ryan P. Wilson Matua, the original and only the best journey into imagination. 
was there. Oh, that was great with the paper, with the white room, with all the paper cutout animals and the yeah. So let that, me. Add, all right, so I'll, I'll give you another one. Oh, would you rather go. have? Okay, would you rather have the original Journey into Imagination in its entirety come mm-hmm. back, or everything that was in the Image Works? Oh, oh, that's a tough one. Um. <laughs> so let me just Dreamfinder School of Drama. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking about it. The the pin boards and the the painting on the I stepping tones, the walls, the, the rainbow tone. corridor. Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff out there too. The electronic Philharmonic. Right. And that. the sushi bar. And they're going to add a sushi bar if they bring Oh, we're adding a sushi bar. That's, that's hands down right there. Oh, I don't – yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough one. See? It's not as the – people are like, oh. Or, oh, it, oh, I would take this. Yeah, when you start, when you start thinking about it, it was yeah. like – I miss that area. Like I really miss the upstairs area because as a kid, I remember how much time I must have spent. My oh, yeah. poor parents wanting to go ride attractions or eat or nap. And the pin board, like the pin yep. board fascinated me. Yeah, and I can remember when you finally were able to, you know, th- those finally became something you could buy a small version of for home. And I just remember playing with it, going, "This is not the same. Why is this not the same to yeah. me?" That I, but those, yeah, those were incredible. And even just, you know, climbing up the top of those stairs or or taking the elevator up, just the view from up there was incredible. And I know we we talk about horizons, horizons, horizons all the time. I think an argument could be made, Ryan P. Wilson, World of Motion you know, was really like a phenomenal, and I don't think it maybe had the cult-like following and love and nostalgia of Horizons, but I loved Gary Owens and the world of motion. Oh, absolutely. You know, my my dad, you know, has worked his entire life in, in the, you know, tire in the automotive industry. And so there's always that special connection to that place for me because I think, you know, this is, you know, you'd see the guy selling, you know, you know, with the they just invented the wheel, or you see them, you know, selling the chariots, and I'm like, yeah, I get this. This is the world my family lives in, and it, it it is. It's one of those places where, especially at the end, where you have that futuristic car, and you know, with the Pepper's Ghost effect, you're you're inside a futuristic car, and you're like, yes, okay, great, sold. Where's my car that flies? I'm still waiting for the water engine. Remember the post show with the water yes. with the bird and the robot and the water. I'm still waiting for the water engine. I love the water. Yeah, and and. And and where you had everyone talking about the magnet, the magnets, and then this, and then they were coupling it all together, and the fusion engine, and yeah, I can remember all that post show. Just you know, and then you see all the model cars that you know were just a few years down the road, and in the giant trucks that were going to unfold and have you know whole living environments. And yeah, it was incredible from start to end. And 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 from start to end, it was a long attraction too. It was about fifteen minutes long. But what I really like was you really got a sense, and if you sort of know your Disney history and know some of the people who were, were a part of that, this very much had the the fingerprints, the handprints, the the imprint of Ward Kimball all yeah. over it. You know, because of, it was a little wacky, it was a little eccentric, it was very, very funny, I think it was very witty and very well done. You know, the scenes, uh, you know, they, I don't want to say they spoke to you, but like I, I remember yeah. vividly you know, the car accident scene, you know, the first yep. car accident scene and just how funny it was and all the different machinations and, and trials of the wheels that didn't work. Like that just sort of screams yeah. Ward Kimball. 
oh yeah, the Sunday afternoon where where you know the guy's showing off on the unicycle and the other guy's about ready to get the tire burst in his face because his girlfriend's watching him instead of her and yeah, it's th- there's so many little pieces there that you can just see. You're like, yes, this is yeah, this is this is absolutely Ward Kimball and and everyone who was involved with that. And I think one of my favorite places to hang out, um, uh, again, admitting my my geekiness and wearing my parachute pants and whatever it was, but Communicore East, I think, really sort of tried to give us a glimpse into the future. Now, look, backstage magic uh, with, with Ken Jennings, maybe computers don't look like that anymore, but as somebody who was very interested in computers from a very, very early age, that was fascinating to me to sort of see how it looked. But remember all the different robots that were there? There was Smart One. There was Gyro. Gyro was sort of like the first kind of walk around, roll around yes. animatronic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had his hat and like his antenna would go up and he would talk to guests. And yeah, he was he was out there and, and it was it was like robots were the future and they were everywhere in, in Epcot at that time. Yeah, and they he would sort of be out. You know, Smart One was. Um, he was the little purple guy, and you could sort of play games. He would play. I remember sort of playing the the interactive games um, with right, him. Right, trivia. He would give you trivia questions, and you had to try to figure out if you could solve his riddles. And mm-hmm. yeah, and there was a. Um, wasn't there like a little, um, like a design your own coaster or, or something there? And there was this. The census was there. They you could sort of do the census, like you were. You know, yes. But yeah, it was like yeah, it was like the yeah, the like people of the century kind of thing going on too, and yeah, there was a lot going on just just right there, and you had the giant countdown clock, yeah, showing you how many people were were in the world at this moment. Yeah, but Gyro was out and about in the mm-hmm. parks. There was nobody inside of him. He was sort of you know the a, a real life kind of R two D two you know Roman, and he was out there. I remember being out like for a long, long time, and we're like, oh, we're all gonna have Rosie the robot. Someday, right? Everyone's gonna have their own personal R two D two, and they were gonna be, you know, on Easy Street. And I also there was also the American Express travel port, because like the video screens where you could actually like video phone a reservation agent and make a booking for dinner. Here they had these sort of vacation station booths where you could again sort of bring this idea of what you just saw in World Showcase out, and you could sort of preview. And make, I think you could even make vacations, like you can sort of preview areas by clicking on the screen. And then weren't you able to, um, wasn't there like a, a travel office there that you could actually go and like, because that's what you want to do when you go to your, Disney World. Right. Like, let's go to China. Like, come While on. I'm on vacation, <laughs> let me book my next vacation. Right. Like, I'm really enthousia- enthused about what I just saw in Germany, so let's go to the Rhine. Let's and maybe pe- Look, uh, people must have because it was there for a while. Right. So... Just like at um, the same thing was over at if you had wings, uh, Eastern used to have a sort of travel agency kiosk. You didn't go into a gift shop to buy wings at the end. You went into the gift shop to buy another vacation to book your right to book your next trip. <laughs> and I also remember going back to the idea of shops of the Centurium because remember it used to be two stories. Yes, the Centurium was was used to be able to go up to the second floor because originally, and I know we talked about this in the past. Originally, Communicore East and West was going to have a second level, and there was going to be like a people mover that was going to let you go around. And that's why, if you go into Communicore West now, you can still see the sort of high ceilings and all the windows because there was actually going to be a people mover going across. Right, they they were kind of pulling that idea that Walt had of 
you know, where it was going to be his city center and then everything was going to go out from these people movers and and all of those different kind of locomotion ideas and it just it never did come to fruition but yeah with the uh you know in the shops you could get I can remember getting like the kaleidoscope the collapsible mug you know, little cups and we'd go get water out of the water fountain with them and <laughs> because that was functional but it was there were all these cool like it was it was the the things you were going to need in your home of the future right and so Moving over towards World Showcase and passing by the Odyssey restaurant, which we all wish would sort of reopen. Um, I guess in 1986, we're at 10 pavilions. We're not at 11 because Norway doesn't open until 1988. Right. Norway still has that that area for the bathrooms, which are kind of have that Danish theme at the time. And but, you know, the other thing in World Showcase, there was no second gate at that point that, you know, the. By Spaceship Earth, that was your one-way in, one-way out. There was no international gateway. Uh, that's right. That's right. Again, not until all the expansion that takes place with all the, the resorts like the Swan and Dolphin and the Boardwalk and the Beach Club. But lest we forget that in addition to that that's going on inside the parks and the additional resorts, downtown D- Disney Springs slash downtown Disney slash the Walt Disney World vac- Village slash the Lake Buena Vista it, it went through like 17 different names, yeah. but it really was meant because at one point there was going to be planned residences in Walt's world. This shopping village was going to be sort of where the residents of Walt's world, in addition to tourists, were going to be able to shop. So I remember, you know, now and obviously it's, it's in a state of flux. It's changing a lot. But I remember such a wide variety of stores that were there and, and when I talked about the the idea of, of residents being there there was sort of a, a grocery store there like there was like mm-hmm. a gourmet pantry there not just for people to sort of send home or bring home as gifts but for people to buy and bring back to their resort and cook and eat definitely and they had you know if you were going to be there for a long time they had plants that you could get there were, there was a candle making shop a pottery shop you know all these things that you could go and it was like your own little hometown village you know corner shops like the haberdashery, like everybody mm-hmm. needs. <laughs> Everyone needs one of those. <laughs> but it was, and there was a lot of you know cool different things, and much like where Disney Springs is headed back now, it very much was focused during this time on the water. You know, they had the water sprites, they had pedal boats, they had canopy boats, they had sailboats. I mean, there was a huge dock with such a wide variety of watercraft that you could take out. Again, this idea of keeping people on property, it is the vacation destination where people are not just spending time in the parks, but their time and obviously their money in places like the Lake Buena Vista Village. Definitely. And it was, you know, back then, you know, it wasn't the vacation where you had to go, 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 go. It was a vacation where you would sit and relax and just rest a little bit. And so you would want to do recreational things. You would want to sit on the shore or take a paddle boat out and, and get that photograph of your kids out there. And and so it was just, it was, you know, relax and stay and play. Okay. So you want to stay, you want to play. I'm going to put you on the spot again. Oh, here we go. If you can bring back one of these two, which do you choose? River Country or Discovery Island? Oh, you keep playing in my corner of the woods, but I'm going to get sad. Listen, um, I, I'm very deliberately waited until now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you. Yeah, I think I know him so well. I'm just going to manipulate him all day. I think 
because because we have Animal Kingdom, because there's so much out of that, it would probably I'd probably lean towards River Country, um, and that old the old swimming hole and that that stay that that kind of stay thing. You sit there, you can watch the kids play. There's the old fashioned boom swing. I think I'd go with River Country. So would you bring back? <laughs> I like I like playing this game with you. Would you bring back? Oh, this is what I was going to say. Um, at the Contemporary, was would you bring back the Fiesta Fun Center? But I know <laughs> that would probably win over anything. Would you bring back the Papiete Bay Veranda or the Top of the World Supper Club? Oh wow! <laughs> um, and some kids are going. What language is he speaking? Yeah, what, what, is what he, are these what places? Is he talking about? So, Poppy at the Bay Veranda was many mini where they had minis Menahune character buffet breakfasts uh, over at the Polynesian, and the Top of the World Supper Club, as you can probably figure, is where not the Top of the World at Bay Lake Tower is, but is where the California Grill is now. And Top of the World is like not only did you go there for good food, but you dressed for dinner. And yeah. you had lots of, of like top quality entertainment as well. Yeah, and I think that's probably what would what would buy me in is is right now. You know, I'd love to you know me and you and, and our wives go, <laughs> go and have dinner and see this night and and have a show going on and have the you know, world class dining and just have that nice night. So I think I'd probably go with top of the world. Yeah, it um you know it it's funny as much as Walt Disney World has grown, so many of these things sort of still remain and in 1986 even though you didn't have MGM even though you didn't have Animal Kingdom you didn't have two other water parks there was still at this point a ton to do like you could spend a week at this resort and still not get to see and do and more importantly eat it all no i mean I, you know, you've gotten to the point now where i don't think in 3 weeks a month you could do every you know you could never do everything but you could you'd, you'd still have a bucket list to come back to and back then even with the week you still had a bucket list to come back to because there were so many different experiences that you just didn't have enough time, you know hours in your day so final question and there's no wrong well there's a wrong answer but there is no wrong answer if you could go back to 1986 and do one thing do or see or eat or whatever one thing in Walt Disney World what oh. would it be can I win the car? No. Uh, <laughs> you, and listen, if you want to sh- win the Chevy <laughs> S10, I'm sure yeah. it got six miles to the gallon. So right, I'm sure. I'm sure the gas mileage there was fantastic. Um, ooh, 1986. What would I do? You know, part of me just wants to just. You know, the honest answer is go back and just and just wander again, just kind of see what was there to be seen. Probably, if I had to pick one event, it would probably be go back and. Probably wander through through imagination. Probably just spend some time in imagination and you know in image works and all of that. Yeah, man, it's hard. You know, it's yeah. hard because there is a lot of stuff to do. There is a lot of scene. It's like, okay, do I do I ride an attraction? Do I just sort of sit and wander and take lots and lots of pictures on your little <laughs> Instamatic camera and then take it up to the GF Camera Center and have them develop it two weeks later? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and all the pictures are blurry. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> right. Who's this guy photobombing? He didn't even know what photobombing <laughs> was. Um, I want to go. Yeah, what, go back and say, take a selfie. They'll be like, take a what yeah. to do a waste this. my waste my you know cube flash on a what? Take um, a picture of the pink castle. Trust me, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be great in, in in a couple of years. So that's the question that I will leave you, the listener. If you could go back to 1986, 
and see or do or eat or experience or ride what one thing, what would it be? You can tweet me your response. I'm at Lou Mangello on Twitter. You can email me, Lou at WDW Radio. More importantly, go to the show notes. Go to WDWRadio.com. Click on the podcast link. Go to this week's episode and leave a comment on the bottom of that page. Ryan and I will definitely keep an eye on it and uh, engage with you guys that way. You can also call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 and tell us in your own words, use your emotion, pull the car over and say, my God, Mangello, how could you not want to go and eat a sandwich, whatever it may be? Call the voicemail. Let us know what you remember and miss and the one thing that you would do from and in 1986. And then please, as long as you're pulled over, Pull out your little smartphone and go to Main Street Gazette. That's MainSTGazette.com. I will link to it in the show notes because Ryan Wilson, I say this all the time, man. I dig what you do, baby. You write so well and so much. My God. Do you ever sleep? But it's slowing down now. It's it, it's starting. To, old age is getting to me, I think, at some point. But yeah, but you, how long have you been doing this? How long, you been, how long has the Gazette been up? Over seven years. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a lot. I got, of and I got and I got some, you know, I'm really looking at next year and some some big ideas and some stuff I want to go after. So. And you've got, you know, great photos and great content. And, and I really do uh, dig the stuff that you do. And obviously we have more Wayback Machine segments and ideas that we have to get to uh, as well. So, man, I, I appreciate you uh, hopping aboard the Wayback Machine with me, buddy. Always a pleasure. So after we leave Imagination, though, I want to stop and get in, uh, at the farmer's market at Land for that sandwich. <laughs> yeah, where would I eat? That's what I got to think. Like, if I could yeah, only that's, eat that's one a, place. That's a loaded question. Gosh, there's, there's so much good Should stuff. we do a breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Like, we get three meals? Like, do I, Well, maybe do I go to the Empress Lily? Ooh, Empress Lily is a good choice. There's so many rooms at the Empress Lily to eat in there. Then you got to choose which, what dining experience you want. <laughs> I probably won't go to Captain... Well, maybe I'll go to Captain Jack's in 1986. I wouldn't have gone in 19... <laughs> I wouldn't have gone in 2012, but I'll go to Captain right, Jack's Right, Go back to when it opened. It's a different experience then. So, yeah. We Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see or maybe even in what you hear. You can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week I was talking about a celebrity cameo or cameos inside the parks and actor-comedian Martin Short, who you probably know from Saturday Night Live fame, appeared multiple times in Walt Disney World attractions or shows. And your question was simply to name two of the attractions or shows that he had been in. Now, you might also know that Martin Short was in a number of Disney animated and live-action films as well, including The Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, where he played Jack Frost. He was Ben in Treasure Planet. He was Lars in 101 Dalmatians 2. And he also had roles in Jungle to Jungle and Frankenweenie. But inside the Walt Disney World theme parks... What I was looking for was either 
O Canada, where he is hosting the current version of the show in the Canada Pavilion. The Making of Me, which was the former Wonders of Life Pavilion show over in Epcot. Or the Monster Sound Show over at the Disney MGM Studios, where he starred with Chevy Chase. Congratulations to all of you that got all two, or three actually, correct. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. You were playing again for copies of... All six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, which you can find over at Disney102.com. And the winner is also going to receive a signed copy of my Walt Disney World Trivia Book, Volume 2. So again, the one winner randomly selected from all the correct entries is William Rosen. So William, congratulations. Please send me your address. I'll send you out your prize package. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So this week, we are talking a little bit about the opening of Captain EO in 1986 in Epcot Center, and the made-for-TV special, The Making of Captain EO, is the current pre-show for the current version of Captain EO playing in Walt Disney World. Now, this documentary was directed by Muffet Kaufman and hosted by... That's your question for this week. Tell me, who is the host or narrator for the making of Captain EO made-for-TV special, which is now currently playing as part of the pre-show in Walt Disney World? You have until Sunday, January 4th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Now, this week, in addition to all the audio tours and a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, and I'm also going to throw in an extra bonus prize this week as well. As you'll hear at the end of the show, I'm about to start listing more items from my personal Disney and Star Wars collection up on eBay this coming week. Well, I'm going to take one of those items out, a mystery gift, and include it as a part of this week's prize package. So again, you have until Sunday, January 4th, to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I also want to say thanks to Philip Mixad, Mark Hill, Emily T., and S. Welch for the great reviews of my 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book on Amazon.com. We have more than 150 reviews. If you have the book, maybe got it for the holidays, please add your own and tell your friends. And for more information, visit Disney102.com. I mentioned briefly during the trivia section that I am purging some of my Disney collection and I want to share it with you. So I'm listing a ton of items every week on eBay starting this week, Sunday, January 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern. I have my entire attraction diecast collection, a lot of vinylmations, probably about 40 or 50 items this week. And I'm going to be posting items every week after. To see my auction listings, visit www.radio.com slash eBay. Again, items are going to include theme park merchandise, documents, books, pins, artwork, collectibles. I'll also be purging some of my other geeky things from Star Wars and who knows what else I'll find in my garage and closet. All right, so in addition to the show, don't forget that you can watch and chat every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WW Radio Live. Be part of our weekly newscast. Talk about this week's Walt Disney World news with me in the chat room. Then stay 
chat about anything you like and ask me anything uh, in the lightning round. Again, that's every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. It is fun. It is free. It is family friendly. Everybody is invited and we will pick things back up right after the first of the year. Also visit www.radio.com. There you'll find our blog, videos, subscribe to our newsletter and download the free WDW Radio app for your mobile device. You know I love hearing from you, so if you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. Be part of the community. Get some WW Radio logo gear, books, and more over at the shop over at wdwradio.com slash shop. Tweet me at Lou Mangello. Follow me at facebook.com slash Lou Mangello or like the WW Radio page at facebook.com slash WW Radio. And you know that as much as I love connecting with you guys online, I think nothing beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why I like to do a lot of in-person events, including our meets of the month every month in Walt Disney World. The next is going to be over Marathon Weekend, Saturday, January 10th from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Tomorrowland Terrace in the Magic Kingdom. Whether you are running, cheering, just there for vacation or local, please come, bring the entire family or come by yourself. It's a great opportunity to sort of get together, meet and chat. Again, that's Saturday, January 10th. Also visit the events page at www.radio.com to find out how you can be part of our 8th anniversary celebration on Saturday, February 7th over at Fort Wilderness. You can come and spend the day with us or spend the entire weekend. We have a group of cabins together. I will be there all weekend, so if you want to get a cabin, in our little group, in our one little section, you can visit mousefantravel.com and you can get a cabin there. If you just want to come and spend the day and celebrate with us, there's going to be fun and food and games and contests and prizes and food. I will have uh, information about ticket sales coming very soon. Again, stay tuned to Twitter, Facebook, and the WDW Radio events page. Also visit lumangelo.com. Find out about other events I'll be doing, not in Walt Disney World, but on the road, as I'll be speaking at a number of conferences and schools Throughout the year and throughout the country, I'll be at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. I'll be at Podcast Movement later in the year in Fort Worth. I'm also going to be doing an online business podcaster summit first week in January. Visit the speaking page over at lumangelo.com. And if you are a podcaster or thinking about wanting to start to build your brand and business through podcasting, I can certainly help you with our podcasters mastermind group. The next one is forming and will start in January or happy to work with you, do some one-on-one coaching and mentoring as well. Again, for more information, visit lumangelo.com. Thanks, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider, because it's who I've been using for nearly a decade now. Visit mousefantravel.com. They will give you a free, no-obligation quote for Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, wherever it is that you want to go, all at no additional cost to you. And if you want to get some Disney magic delivered right to your door, visit celebrationspress.com and subscribe or order back issues to Celebrations Magazine. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links and comment over on Facebook. And please come by, rate and review the show over on iTunes. We have more than 930 reviews right now. I'd love to get to 1,000 five-star reviews. Thanks to recent reviewers, Lauren Gaggioli, AJC Bria, Den Scott, and Citrus Swirlers for your reviews. Again, just go to iTunes, search for WW Radio, and you can rate and review the show there. And finally, as we come to the end of 2014 and start looking ahead to the next year. I don't want to tell you to have a happy new year, 
I want to tell you to make a happy new year. You are in control of your destiny, right? Start every day and start this new year believing that every day is going to be better than the day before. Be positive and surround yourself with positive people. Commit to doing what's going to make you happy with no regrets. So you never have to look back and wonder what might have been. Make a choice to take a chance and change your life for the better. And let New Year's Day be the day that you're always going to remember as the start of an amazing journey. And if I can help in any way, please let me know because you have given me the greatest gift, which is allowing to share my love for Disney with you through this show and so many other ways. I am incredibly excited about what 2015 and beyond has in store, including something new I'm going to launch after the first of the year. The best, I promise you, my friends, is yet to come. I hope you have, I say almost did it, I hope you make yourself a very, very happy new year. Thank you guys so much. So until next time, until next year, see ya. Hello, Lou Mangello. It's Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York. And Merry Christmas to everybody that I might have missed last week. And now we are on our way to getting ready for the new year of 2015, which means that we are 155 days away from the WDW Radio Disney Wonder Alaska Cruise. Can't wait to listen to Lou and Becky talk about these adventures that they suggest that we might all take uh, when we go and visit these towns. Have a great night, everybody, and once again, Happy New Year, and we're going into 2015 in a few days. Um, have a magical day, everyone. Love you all, and Fox people and WDW Radio family, I thank you so very much for being a part of our lives. And, Lou, thank you for doing everything that you do and showing us a positive way of living our lives. Uh, love all you guys. Happy New Year. You've got a friend in me. Yeah. You know, this is the time of day I really love. Will you look at that sunset out there? Fabulous. Mm, just breathtaking. Great way to end a great year. Really? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, but I must say, having the whole family here together on this New Year's Eve is even more beautiful. You know, dear, I think you're right. Well, of course she is. <laughs> you tell him, Grandma. I mean it. We're all healthy and together, and I think we're living in a wonderful time. Do you really feel that way? The 80s are a wonderful time. I'm in the 80s myself. My golf score, that is. Slice of that old We have an awful lot to be thankful for. Well, the old gal's right about that. <laughs> Grandpa, wait a minute. What about all those good old days of yours? The ones you're always raving about. Yeah, they were good all right, but... I tell you, we had to spend quite a chunk of those good old days just taking care of essentials. Oh, essentials. Glad you mentioned that. It's time for me to start my New Year's Eve spectacular. Omelette Superb Avec Jambon. Mmm, not the famous Omelette Superb Avec Jambon. Uh, known in other circles as ham and eggs. Now, don't push it, sport. 
As for you two, whatever happened to respect for your elders? <laughs> I always wondered the same thing when you were growing up. <laughs> well, you two can ponder that age-old question. But since it's almost dark, I think I'll put your recipe on memory and throw a little light on the subject. Oh, Mom, while you're at it, will you touch the program scan? I'd like to see the New Year's Eve celebrations in Europe and the East. Is it that time already? Well, of course. Matter of fact, it's past that time in half the world. Wow. The awesome things they teach these children nowadays. Very funny. We're celebrating the New Year here in London. A large crowd is gathered. Tremendous pace as happy Parisians welcome the New Year. A happy holiday spirit fills the evening. We still have several hours before midnight here in the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. But already, people from all over the world are celebrating oh the arrival of Oh my goodness, year. look at that. As you can see, Sensational. lighting That's sky. great. You know, Mother, I feel like sending up some fireworks myself. We really do have a lot to celebrate. And not just things, either. No, it's the whole quality of our lives. Hey, it's great you two feel that way. Why shouldn't we? The world is getting more complex. Really? Well, today's always more complex than yesterday. Always has been. But it's more exciting, too. Today we have so many more choices. I think that's the best part. Sure, today they're bringing good things to life that weren't even dreamed of a generation ago. Oh, speaking of good things, sounds like it's time for our omelette superb avec jambon. <laughs> <laughs> See? Even sports enthusiastic about the future. <laughs> All right, fella, I get the message. And yes, dear, you're right. Now is the time. Why don't we all sing it? 